Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we're so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another amazing message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. This morning, the title of my sermon is Responding to the Cry of Our Generation. Responding to the Cry of Our Generation. Esther chapter 4. <clears throat> and we're going to read most of the chapter, so just follow along with me. Esther chapter 4, starting at the first verse. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. <clears throat> so Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. And Esther called Hatak, Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. And Hatek went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. He also gave a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for the people. So Hatech returned and Esther the, <clears throat> returned the words of Esther to Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hatech and gave him a command for Mordecai. All of the king's servants and all of the people of the provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king and who has not been called has but one law, to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. And he said, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink three days or nights. For maids, <clears throat> my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go into the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Probably the most popular verse in the entire book of Esther is the 14th verse, where Mordecai says to Esther, who knows whether or not that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I want you to think about what he's saying for a moment. He's telling Esther that there is no happenstance with God. There is no chance. There's no accidents with God. God is in control of all things. He's saying to Esther, Esther, you've been put in this position at this very moment for this very time. And folks, this morning it's true of you and I as well. God is in control of all things. How many believe that? He's in control of everything. He is not overwhelmed today by the events or the circumstances that so often you and I struggle with. The things that we find overwhelming do not overwhelm God. 
The things that are above us, beyond us, they are still below the feet of God. He's clearly in control. He's never surprised. And yet, he has chosen you and I to be in the world at this time for divine purpose. Now, you have to know that. And I know for some of you, you struggle with that idea. But this morning, I believe that God has a word. He wants you to see it. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to know that he has not made a mistake in calling you. He has not made a mistake bringing you into the kingdom of God and into the church or the body of Christ. In fact, he's brought you in at the exact right time and in the, at the exact right moment. You too are here and a part of the kingdom of God representing Christ for such a time as this. Now folks, I know that to be true, but it was clearly true for Esther. There was no doubt. For those of you who don't know the story, I want to give a quick backdrop. The book of Esther is the story of a lady who, a young lady who is brought into proximity of the king for a purpose. She didn't fully understand it. Now, if you read the story, it's a, it's a, it's a dramatic read. I suggest you read it this afternoon. But it's a wonderful story. There's, there's this young lady, and she's an orphan. She's raised by her cousin, Mordecai. It's her it's her. It's her father uh, who has adopted her. And he has raised her with purpose. He's raised her with the understanding that she's a Jew and she has, she has an inheritance. She has purpose in her life. And the story begins with the king and the queen of that hour. They get into a, they get into a fight, if you will. They just, there's, a, there's a problem. The, the king summons her and the queen refuses. And that's not a good thing when you're the king. And you, so basically he just gets rid of her. That's really what happens. And so the people around the king decide, let's find you another queen. And they begin to do this contest. It's a, it was a modern-day bachelorette, I suppose. I was reading it, this thing, and I thought, well, some of that, they've stole this right out of the book of Esther. <laughs> they, they do. They, be, they, bring, they begin to bring all these ladies before the king, and he chooses. And he chooses Esther. Esther becomes the new queen. Now, it, it is a story of someone who had no proximity to the king, no business being in front of the king. She had no lineage. There was, there, there was if, if, you're, if you were not a person of faith, if you were not a person who understood scripture or understood God, you'd say, wow, she was so lucky. What a, wow, what, a, what an opportunity. You know, like it just fell into her lap. But you and I know as we read the story that God was positioning her. God was putting her in this position. And folks, it's, it's a similar story. I want you to understand the similarities between this story and you and I. Because Esther represents the Christian, in my opinion. You and I, when we were born again and we put our trust in Christ for our salvation, the Bible teaches that we were once alienated from God. In other words, we had no access to the throne of God. We had no access to the king. But when we became born again and when we were when we were robed in the righteousness of Christ, when we were given the royal robe of Christ and his blood, the Bible teaches that those of us that were alienated from God have now been brought near. We've been brought into proximity to the king. And today, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've been born again, you have access and you have a legal right to approach God. That's what the scripture says. Through our relationship with Christ, we're not only granted access, we are actually invited to come into the presence of the king who sits on the throne. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 makes it very clear. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace 
that you may find help in your time of need. You have to see this this morning. You have to know it. If you are a Christian, you, you, you have no business coming into the presence of the king. But, but for the grace of God, for the mercy of God, for the purposes of God, you were called by God and you were once alienated, but now, now, in the position you are in, in the eyes of heaven, in the eyes of God, in, in the eyes of all of heaven itself, they see you and they recognize you are a modern day Esther. You have been given access to the king. When you had none, you had, she had no business to be able to go and speak to the king. But today, you and I, in the same way, have been brought into proximity with the king. And, and folks, it's safe to say many Christians don't understand this. They don't know who they are in Christ. They, don't, they see themselves only with the natural eye. You, you, just, you, tend, you and I tend to focus on our own weakness. We tend to focus on our failure. We, we know who we are in the natural, don't we? We know it. We, we're living it. We live weakness. We see it. But, but the person of faith is called to see something beyond their natural ability. They're, they're called to see beyond their own weakness. They're called to see something greater, something that only God could do inside of them. Keep your finger in Esther. And I, I want to read a verse that we read last week in 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the ninth verse, it says, It is written that I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Listen to what that verse is saying. He's saying it, there's something of God that you can't fully grasp without the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, now some would like to take that verse, and I think it has twofold meaning. In one way, it's, it's speaking of something to come, something in the future, and, and maybe in some way it's even speaking of heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Jesus himself said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if if I say I'm going away, I'm going to come back, but I'm, I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. And, and that's a place that you and I refer to as heaven. And there's no doubt that our eyes, we've never seen anything like heaven. We've never heard the sounds that we're going to hear in heaven. There's, there's a preparation of God that's before us. It's in front of us, if you will. And, 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 and we, we have no idea how wonderful it's going to be. But I'm here to tell you that that verse is not speaking only of something in the future it is speaking about something that is right in front of you today because the scripture says very clearly that even though eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard and it's never entered into the heart of man he goes on to say but the spirit will show you the the holy spirit will begin to show you and then if you drop down to the 12th verse he says the spirit will begin to show you the things that have been freely given to you by god and, and so, folks, what it's saying to you is it, there's, a, there's a process of growth that as you and I begin to serve God and as we follow him and as we learn of his word and as we pray and we become closer in intimacy with him, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you things about yourself that you could have never imagined. He'll begin to show you things that you're capable of that you never thought you were. He'll, he'll begin to give you a courage that you, you just don't have naturally in your own dispensation. He'll begin to give you eyes that see with, with, with a spiritual lens where, where you 
you'll see beyond the natural. You, you won't see limitations all the time. You'll, yes, you'll see limitations. You'll see mountains, but you'll also hear the word of the Savior saying, you can speak to it and it'll be removed. He, you'll, you'll be, he'll begin to take you from a place of, of seemingly insignificance and weakness without purpose, and he'll begin to put purpose in you. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. He said he'll begin to give you a purpose beyond anything that you thought possible in the natural. That is what is available to you and I. That is exactly what you see represented in the story of Esther. She's, she's all of a sudden going from someone who would have never been known in history to, to now someone that we're talking about thousands of years later. She was given a destiny that she could not have imagined in, in her wildest dreams. And today, folks, the Bible is very clear. God wants to do exceeding, abundant, above, abundantly above what you think or even what you are asking him to do in your life today. He wants to take you into a place of supernatural, spirit-led living where the Holy Spirit is guiding you, where, where you can walk into a situation and speak wisdom where you can have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, where there may be darkness all around you, but when you show up, there's light. There may be depression in every room, but when you come, there's a hope, there's an anticipation, there's a joy. There's something of God in you. There's something of heaven in you. There's something of eternity in you. God is in you. you have been, you've been brought into proximity of the king. You, you, your eyes can't imagine it and ears can't fathom, but, but you know that the Spirit of God is working in your heart and you know that God's going to do something in your life. You know that you have purpose. You, you know that this whole thing of Christianity, is, as good as it is about your eternity and about your future in heaven, you know there's something more for the here and now. It's, it's inside. It's the Spirit of God. And if you're a praying person... And if you're someone who even approaches the scripture, there's got to be an inner sense of that in you today. You see, Esther was not given access to the king for her own benefit alone. Yes, she was a beneficiary, no question, but she was not put in this position for her own benefit. And you have to believe that in some way, even though the scripture doesn't say, and I'm just surmising, but you have to believe that in some way Esther she must have, it was so unfathomable, folks, you have to understand the context and the history. This, this was not something that happened. This, this was extremely unique. It was a one-time shot. And, and I, I believe that after it's all said and done and she's, she's got the crown and she's the queen and she's there at the right hand of the king, there had to be something in her heart, an inner knowing. God has something for me to do. I wonder if anyone in this room is feeling that today, that, that you, you've got to begin to believe that I, God has me in this place where I am for such a time. There's something for me to do. You see, I believe that if you'll begin to pray, and that's why some of you aren't praying because you're just scared to death of this. Don't be afraid of what God might be leading you into. It, God will always lead you into something that's good for the kingdom of God. But if you're a praying person, it, this, it's, this is an, in, it's an inevitable experience. That's why when I'm around folks that don't seem to have any direction or any vision, I, I'm not being judgmental, but I would judge very clearly. They're not praying. They're not a praying person. 
You cannot be a praying person and not have this somewhere, somewhere in your heart, this inner sense that God has a plan for me. God has a purpose. There, there's a reason that I'm alive. You know, some of us spend all of our days trying to get out of particular situations that we don't think we like or we don't think is the greatest. But the reality is, why don't you stop? Why don't you reframe it and begin to realize that God has you right where you are, at the right time, at the right moment. He has a purpose for you being where you are. There's a purpose. And, and the longer you resist it, the more you resist it, the longer you're going to be in that place, by the way. And the very thing you're longing to get out of, you're just continuing because you're not hearing the voice of God. No, I, I believe she had an inner understanding that there was a purpose for her life. There was an inner, an inner call. And, and today I want you to understand that, that you have a deeper and greater purpose. Now, this may have nothing to do with changing your job or switching a career or moving or going into what we often call full-time ministry, please do not limit this sermon to that. No, it might, you might stay right where you are, working the same job, doing the same thing, living in the same house, same community, everything. It's, it's an inner knowing, though, that God has you positioned, and you can make a difference right where you are. Right where you are. Sometimes we hear sermons like this and we think, oh, I, I wish I could just be a missionary. I wish I could just, I'm going to go in and I'll go into ministry and I'll go into full-time teaching of the word or something of that. And, and if that's the call of God, then that's what you have to do. But that's probably not the call of God on your life necessarily. It might be that it's time to start being a light in your workplace. It, it might be that it's time to start witnessing to your Family members that you've cowered away from for years. I don't know what it is, but know this, God has a purpose for your life. I think many of you this morning know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel this inner drawing to be used by God. You, you feel a deep desire to go, I want to go further with God. I, I want to be used. I can't just come to church anymore. It's, I, church is wonderful, and I love gathering, and I love worship, but I want to do more. I want to make a difference. I believe that God has put this sermon in my spirit and I believe he said to me very clearly that there are people that will understand exactly what you're saying. That there are folks in this room today and those that are listening that you know God has a plan for you and, and you may not talk about it but there's this kind of quiet excitement. There's, there's an anticipation of what is it that God can do with my life. And I believe Esther had that. Now even though that may have very well been the case, we find that Esther is very much like us in that even though that anticipation, that excitement is there, for some strange reason, we often try to cover it. It's a strange thing, really, when you consider it. The story goes on, and Esther's adopted father, his name's Mordecai, he ends up hearing word. Well, what actually what happens is the king has a like a right-hand man, a guy that's very close in his inner circle named Haman. And there's a decree that when Haman comes into the room, you have to bow and you have to worship the king. Well, Mordecai was a good Jew. Mordecai and a good Jew would never bow to anyone but God. And so Haman comes into the presence of Mordecai and everyone bows, but Mordecai doesn't. 
And Haman is just enraged. He's full of hatred, full of anger. And, and it happens like multiple times. So it's an embarrassment to this high-ranking official in the king's court. And, and Haman gets to the point where he cannot stand Mordecai. He hates him. And he comes, he literally is a representation, in my opinion, of the devil. If, if you want me to, I, I can't, this is, my, this is my assumption, my surmising. I think Esther represents the believer. I believe Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit. And I believe Haman represents the devil. And, and, and Haman is, he comes up with a plan. He just devises a scheme and he convinces the king. He goes into the king and he's, you know, he's a, one of them little you know, one of them little rats that we all know, you know, he sneaks into the king and he kind of, oh, king, there's these people that won't worship you. And if, what would you do? And he's like, oh, I'll sign a decree and kill them all. And that's what happens. Haman gets a, a written law, an edict from the king. It's a law. All the Jews are going to die. In fact, in the third chapter, it says this. The letters were sent by couriers into the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder all of their possessions. That is law. This little rat goes into the king, and he, it, it becomes a law that on, the, on this particular day, at that very time, all the Jews are going to be annihilated from the earth. And, and, and Mordecai is, is, of course, he's, he's overwhelmed. And what does Mordecai do? He, he knows. He, he knows that his adopted daughter is, is, is in the king's court. And so Mordecai, that's what we read. Mordecai comes with a cry. And so Esther... He says, we're in trouble. You know, Esther hasn't heard. She doesn't know what's going on. She's not in the business of edicts and all of this and decreeing law. And she doesn't know what's happening. And Mordecai comes, but he can only come so far. And, and he's crying out. And he's saying, Esther, you, you've got to help us. We're in trouble. There, there, is a, there is a problem that's going on. But Notice what happened. That's what we read. The first. He says, he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate. That's as far as he could go. He couldn't go any further. And, and so the fourth verse says, Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was distressed. And what does she do? Now, folks, I want you to see this this morning. Now, you've got to get this. This is, like, this is likened unto the Holy Spirit coming into the heart of a Christian and, and stirring your heart for the needs of the people around you. There's a cry at the gate. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is churning. He's, he's stirring your heart. He's, he's trying to soften that, that hardness that so often forms. He's, he's trying to make you warm to the people around you. To the people in need. And, and, and Esther hears it and she's distressed. And her, her immediate response is to send a garment to cover it. She, she's like, oh, oh, we got to, oh, just send him something. He's in sackcloth. He's in ashes, which would have been customary for that day of someone who is repenting and crying out to God and is burdened. And, 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 and Esther says, oh, we got to get this fixed. We got to cover this up. You know, it's, it's the type of person that goes to a ball game and, and takes out a dollar and throws it at someone who's homeless. And, you know, I just got to, ooh, I just got to make myself feel good. 
That's what we so often do when there's an inner draw. It's, we, we try to just cover it up. And, and in other words, what she's doing is she's trying to resist the inner voice of God that is calling her into something deeper. Do you understand? She, there's an inner voice. There's an inner cry. No one else can hear it, but she can hear it. And she's, and she's, she's just simply trying to resist it. And it's what you and I so often do with the Holy Spirit. There's a cry at the king's gate. Yes, it was coming from Mordecai, but it represented the whole nation of people. It, it represented those that were, they had a sentence of death over them. A sentence of death had been pronounced over this people. And they knew they had no help. They, they had no hope. They had no future. They knew that someone has to do something on their behalf. Folks, there has to be a maturing in the life of the believer that begins to take place in our lives where we are not only focused on ourselves, but we are able to hear the cry coming from those around us who are under the power of sin. If that growth and development does not happen in a people, in a church, we will remain shallow and ineffective. It's a growth. It's a maturing that takes place. It's, 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 it's a recognition that, that I'm, I'm, Christianity is not just about Sunday morning gatherings. As good as those are, they have their place and they have their purpose. But there is something beyond this. It's a maturing to be able to now allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place where you hear the cry at the king's gate. You hear the cry of young people who are bombarded with the sentence of death. Young people today who are living in broken homes, being bombarded with sexual immorality. It's the cry of people that are fighting addiction all around us. It's a cry of people that have overwhelming sense of anxiety and fear because they know that the future does not look good. They recognize that we're on the precipice of World War III. They know that there is no earthly or man-centered leadership that can get us out of the state that we're in. There's an, inner, there's an inner foreboding in the people around you. It's an inner cry. It's a sense of hopelessness. The law of sin and death is all around them. There's been a sentence of death. There's been a sentence of judgment. And this law of sin and death is wreaking havoc over our society. Folks, the enemy is doing exactly what Jesus Christ said he would do. He is killing. He is stealing. And he's destroying. He's destroying marriages. He's destroying homes. He's destroying minds. But you and I have experienced the life of Christ. And the abundance that it brings. You and I have been brought into proximity of the king. You, we, we cannot sit comfortably in our churches anymore. We cannot simply sit here while there is a cry at the king's gate. We cannot continue with self-focused prayer. 
We cannot be afraid anymore of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of who it may hurt or offend. It will not hurt them the way you think it hurts them. It may offend. It may challenge their vantage point. It, it, may, it may harm them in that it changes a position of the way they think. But it's not going to harm them. It's going to bring them into life. The way a surgery will bring healing. The way a, a medication that there may, you know, they're, they're, you take it, but the end result is healing and provision and health. We can no longer be afraid of sharing the gospel. We can no longer be afraid to share the love of God. And you see, this is Esther's dilemma. She's in the king's court. She's, she's satisfied. She knows she has access to the king. She understands that anything she has need of, it's taken care of. She knows she has her provision. Oh, she knows the words of David. I have been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. She knows that she's going to be taken care of. She knows that her needs would be met. But on the other side is a cry. There's a cry coming from the king's gate. You see, he couldn't go any further. He's, the cry is saying, well, what about us? What about us? Yes, you are safe. You are saved. You have access to the king. Your provisions are taken care of. But what about us? What about those that are perishing all around you? We don't have access to the king the way you do. Will you not help us? Folks, you have to understand this theologically. Those who are not born again do not have the same access to God the way you do if you're saved. That's the reality. Some of it's theological error. You just think anybody has access to the king. The only, looks, if you're lost, the access to the king that you have is a, is a call of repentance. It's a cry and a prayer of salvation. It's a cry of, save me, I'm lost. One of the glorious benefits of being born again and covered, yes, is the forgiveness of your sins, but it's access to the king. It's that you're now a part of the family of God. It's that you now have access to the throne. And not everyone has access to the throne the way that you do. The way the bride of Christ does. And there's a cry now. I pray to God that every person in this room will hear it. There's a cry at the gate saying, what about me? See, they don't understand it even. And if you and I aren't careful, we get so caught up in our agendas and, and, and so drawn in our judgmental viewpoints and, and we want to rationalize why this person is this way and why that person that way. And at the end of the day, it's because the sentence of death is on them. They're lost. They don't know Christ the way you know him. They don't have the wisdom that you have. They don't have the mind of Christ the way you have it. And what are you and I going to do? We're going to sit in the king's court and, and try to cover the cry? Try to ignore it? Try to pretend it's not there? Blame it on 15,000 different things? Seeing it only from a natural vantage point? Oh, those people disgust me. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're that. Who made you judge? 
You've not been called to judge. You've been called to care. You've been called to love. You've been called to represent the king. Think of this cry. Don't forget about us, Esther. We need you. Please, Esther, don't get so comfortable with your newfound grace. Please don't become so comfortable with your own situation that you forget about us. That you forget about our hurt. You forget about our pain. You forget about our brokenness. You forget that the sentence of death is on us and that we're lost. Esther, don't forget, please. Don't forget, Esther, that God has put you in this place. You did not earn it. You didn't earn that position, Esther. And it wasn't by chance, Esther. It wasn't, it wasn't luck of the draw. You were chosen by God. It was God's grace upon you. You didn't deserve it, but you've been put in this position, Esther. Please, don't forget that you were put in this position for such a time as this. Please don't squander the grace that you've been given. Please don't squander the mercy that you've been shown. You know, folks, one of the most untalked about topics in all of Jesus' teaching, we talk about Jesus' teaching of love, rightfully so, and we know his command that we're called to love others, but do you know that the scripture is very clear that there is a requirement of your salvation? There is a requirement. And that is the love that you've been shown must be reciprocated and shown to others. God makes it very clear. You can, this cannot be a one-sided relationship. I will show you my love. I will, I, will, I will lavish you in my love. But there is a requirement. You must reciprocate it. You must show the love that I've shown you to those around you. It's very clear. It's a law. It's a command of God. It's not a suggestion. No, it's not a suggestion whatsoever. And this morning, if you can hear this, I believe this is a message for this church. Yes, it's for individuals, but I believe it's a message for this church. God has positioned us by his grace so that you and I could fight for the souls of men and women in this region. That's the reality. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I don't believe what you're seeing here and what you're experiencing is an accident, is chance, is somehow a work of man. I believe that what you are witnessing is a work of God, a work of God's grace. By God, we are the church that we are today, but there is a reason. There is a purpose behind it. You cannot convince me that God simply wants to build larger gatherings. God gets no delight in large gatherings alone. But there's a reason that he is assembled, giving, caring, benevolent, kind, lovers of Christ together in one place. Because together we are better. better. Together we are stronger. Together there can be a mighty and forceful testimony of Christ. We can support one another. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We can, we can raise the banner, the bloodstained banner of Christ high to where every person in Southeast Indiana can see it. When, when, when you bring people together who love God, 
who are unified, who are hungry for something more, who begin to understand their position the way Esther ultimately does. Now there can be great kingdom impact, and that is the design of God for the church of Jesus Christ. That's why he told the church, you will, you will tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the manners of the devil, and nothing will by any means harm you. I will empower you as a people. I will make you strong together. You will go outside of your gatherings, and, and, and individually you will make impact, and collectively you will be untouchable. No power of hell will be able to overcome you. There's no weapon that will be able to be formed that can bring you down. You'll be able to gather in your small groups and gather in your church services and I'll, I'll blow on you. I'll blow my spirit upon you. I'll empower you. I'll strengthen you. I'll encourage you. And you'll go forth from those places and, and you'll make a difference. You'll pour out of yourself and you'll empty yourself, but then you'll gather again and I'll blow on you and I'll breathe on you and I'll give life to you again and then you'll go out again and you'll, you'll empty it all and then you'll come back and I'll breathe on you again and I'll pour out my spirit upon you. And the power of hell will not stop you. The gates of hell will not prevail. Because you have been called for such a time as this. This is your purpose. This is your destiny. You have to see it this morning. I believe it with everything in me. I don't believe God is just into building big buildings and big gatherings or collecting a bunch of resources so that we can hoard them and consume them for our own benefit. And I don't believe anyone in this room is interested in that. I'm so thankful. And this morning, this isn't, this isn't a rebuke. This is an encouragement. This is, this is an encouragement. Don't, re, don't forget who you are. And don't forget your purpose and your destiny as a people. We have been brought together for such a time as this. And I believe that. I, I, I'm telling you, I believe that with everything in me. I believe there is something special in this place. There is something special about you. There is something special about this church. And I, I want you to see it. I, you, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to go tell people, you know, don't be like Joseph. And, you know, Joseph knew there was something special that God was going to do. And then he went out and told everybody. And then he got thrown in a pit. Um, so I, I'm not suggesting you go out and tell everybody how great you're. You know, we're special. Our church is special. But I'm telling you you're special. And you need to know you're special. And you need to know you're called by God. And you need to know you have the anointing of God. And you need to recognize that it's for a purpose. It's not for your own self alone. It's not for your own self-consumption is what I'm saying. It's so that you and I can make an impact and make a difference in our community so that, so that we can testify of God's goodness, so that we can show forth the praises of God. Folks, if, if I want to see a spiritual awakening before I die. I mean that. I, I, I want to see a genuine awakening. I'm not talking about a quick experience, you know, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. I, I want to see a genuine awakening where churches are full not just this year. I want this church packed. I want it packed every service. I, 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 the problems of figuring out how we're going to park cars and how we're going to put people, praise God. But I don't want it just for this church. I want it for every church in southeast Indiana. I want them to deal with the same problems we're dealing with. I, I want to be able to go in to the marketplace and there be other Christians that I don't even know, but there's an identification among us that we're, we're all servants of Christ. 
that God's moving in our midst and in our community. No more bickering, no more fighting, no more arguing. I want to see true spiritual awakening, but folks, it will not happen without prayer. That's the reality. And in some ways, this story, as we get ready to close, won't they come? As we get re- this story is a story about intercession. And, and it's, all, it's a story of intercessory prayer. Because Esther was going to serve as the media- mediator. She's going to be the intercessor between, between the king and the people, between the king and the cry. And you and I have been given that same ministry. We've been given, the scripture says, the ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is you have the ability to intercede for your community. You have, you have the God-given authority to intercede. That means pray. Pray powerfully for people around you that are lost. That's what intercession means. It's, it's prayer that says, show me what to do. Give me the words to speak. Help me to be a witness. Push back the powers of darkness. It's, it's prayer that uses God-given authority as the bride of Christ to cast down strongholds, to tread upon serpents and all the works of the enemy. It's, it's this power or authority that's given by Christ where you can intercede on behalf of people that are captive and you can see them free. This is the ministry of Christ, folks. You, you can't expect that people that are lost and bound and captive to sin are just going to be like, oh, I wish that if they just did what I did. Well, the only reason you're here today is because the grace of God came to you and opened your blind, dead, cold eyes. You were lost as the day is night. You just said amen to that. You weren't even listening. That's on you. You know what I meant, though. That's why you said amen. Weren't we? We were lost. It's like captive in the grace of God. Like Esther, we were away from God. But oh, for his love and his goodness, he brought us into proximity of the king for such a time as this. Would you agree? Come on, say amen. Let's stand all over the building. I really felt like God wanted me to preach this this morning knowing that you have an opportunity to put into effect this sermon immediately tonight at 6 o'clock. Immediately. If you believe anything that was preached this morning, if you believe it has any validity at all, then you can change your schedule, you can work around things, and you can be here tonight at 6 o'clock and be a modern-day Esther. You can respond to the cry that's at the king's gate. You can respond and say, God, not the people. They, if I, I heard Carter Conlon say this, and I think it's right. If anyone in southeast Indiana goes to hell, they're going to go over top of me. They're going to go over top of my prayer. They're going to go over top of my witness. They're going to go over top of my love of them. They're going to do it because they absolutely willfully choose to do it. They're not going to go because I didn't tell them, I didn't warn them, I didn't love them, I didn't show them Christ. They're going to go because they absolutely refuse the goodness of God. But it's not because someone didn't tell them or someone didn't pray for them or someone didn't intercede for them. Tonight we have the opportunity to do that. We're going to pray. I love how this ends in the 16th verse. It doesn't end. The story goes on and it works out good. You can read it. 
Esther finally gives in to that inner voice, doesn't she? 16th verse, she says, go, gather all the Jews who are in Shushan. Tell them to fast for me. Tell them not to eat or drink for three days and nights. My maids and I will fast likewise. And listen to what she says. I will go to the king. Now, folks, she wasn't allowed to go to the king unless she was summoned. For her, that was that was culturally. And, and, and she says, but I'm going to go into the king because I have proximity. And if I perish, I perish. God help us to have the same spirit of Esther. Is it going to cost you something? Yes. Yes, it will cost you something. Maybe less time on social media. Maybe less time in front of the television. Maybe less time on the couch. Yeah, it's going to cost you something. It might cost you some pride. Somebody might laugh at you. Somebody may challenge you. Somebody may argue with you. Someone may call you a fool. It may cost you something, but would to God that we as the people of God would have the courage of Esther to say, if I perish, I perish. But I know that God has me in this place for such a time as this. You bow your heads for a moment. If you're in this place this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, That means you have never asked him to forgive you of your sins. And you've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If you have never done that, not one time, you've never done it. But this morning, there's something stirring in your heart. Say, I'm ready to do it. I want to do it. I want to give my life to God. I want to give my life to Christ. Raise your hand. No one's watching you. No one's looking. If there's anyone in this room, my God, don't let this moment pass. If you're here and that's you and you want to receive Christ, raise your hand high. Let me see it. In the balcony, on the floor, see your hand. Anyone else? Oh, praise God. Praise God for a hand. You were brought to this place this morning for this very purpose so that God himself could meet with you and show you his love and his mercy. Everyone in the church is praying. You got your hand up this morning. Your prayer is from your heart, but it's a prayer similar to this. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I've sinned against you. And I know that you're the son of God. And I know that you're merciful and forgiving and loving. And so I ask you to forgive me. I want to serve you. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. Come and not only forgive me, Lord, but but you can have my life. You can have all that I am. Be my master as well. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer from your heart this morning. And according to the scripture, if you pray that in some measure, in some way, in a sincere way from you to God, the scripture says that Jesus is faithful and just. He, he will hear that cry. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will wash your sin away. He will write your name in the Lamb's book of life and he will bring you, like Esther, into the proximity of the king. And so if you prayed that prayer this morning, you have become a modern day Esther as well in that sense. Praise God. Come on, church. Give God praise. Now this morning, we're going to take some time and we're going to let this word find a lodging place in our hearts. 
come. I want you to pray here. Pray your, let it, let it, let it lodge. Let it get stuck. Let it, let it find a place that doesn't just come and go. Let it. It's not just another sermon. It's just another. Oh, that was good. Did you hear, Pastor? That was, no, this is something that sticks. Something that goes in like an arrow, and it's stuck in. You can't get it out. And God, help me to remember it. God. Remind me, Holy Spirit, take me deeper. Take me into maturity. Take me to a place where I'd be willing to intercede and stand on behalf of those and help those that are crying at the King's Gate. Come on, all over the building as they sing. Come on, come on, let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge or you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.